Hermes Trismegistus, his first book. Oh, my son, writes this first book, both for humanity's sake and for piety towards God. For there can be no religion more true or just than to know the things that are, and to acknowledge thanks for all things, to him that made them, which thing I shall not cease continually to do. What then should a man do, O father, to lead his life well, seeing there is nothing here true? Be pious and religious, O my son, for he that doth so is the best and highest philosopher, and without philosophy it is impossible ever to attain to the height and exactness of piety and religion. But he that shall learn and study the things that are, and how they are ordered and governed, and by whom, and for what cause, or to what end, will acknowledge thanks to the workman as to a good father, an excellent nurse, and a faithful steward, that he that gives thanks shall be pious or religious, and he that is religious shall know both where the truth is and what it is, and learning that he will be yet more and more religious. For never, O my son, shall or can that soul which, while it is in the body, lightens and lifts up itself to know and comprehend that which is good and true, slide back to the contrary, for it is infinitely enamored thereof, and forgetteth all evils, and when it hath learned and known its father and progenitor, it can no longer apostatize or depart from that good. And let this, O son, be the end of religion and piety, whereunto thou art once arrived, thou shalt both live well and die blessedly, whilst thy soul is not ignorant whither it must return and fly back again. For this only, O son, is the way to truth, which our progenitors travelled in, and by which making their journey they at length attained to the good. It is a venerable way and plain, but hard and difficult for the soul to go in that is in the body. For first must it war against its own self, and after much strife and dissension, it must be overcome of the part. For the contention is of one against two whilst it flies away, and they strive to hold and detain it. But the victory of both is not like, for the one hasteth to that which is good, but the other is a neighbor to the things that are evil, and that which is good desireth to be set at liberty, but the things that are evil love bondage and slavery. And if the two parts be overcome, they become quiet, and are content to accept of it as their ruler. But if the one be overcome of the two, it is by them led and carried to be punished by its being and continuance here. This is, O son, the guide in which that leads thither, for thou must first forsake the body before thy end, and get the victory in this contention and strifeful life, and when thou hast overcome, return. But now, O oh my son, I will by heads run through the things that are. Understand thou what I say, and remember what thou hearest. All things that are moved, only that which is not immovable. Every body is changeable. Not every body is dissolvable. Some bodies are dissolvable. Every loving being is not mortal. 
nor every living thing is immortal. That which may be dissolved is also corruptible. That which abides always is unchangeable. That which is unchangeable is eternal. That which is always made is always corrupted. That which is made but once is never corrupted, neither becomes any other thing. Firstly, God. Secondly, the world. Thirdly, man. The world for man, man for good. Of the soul, that part which is sensible is mortal, but that part which is reasonable is immortal. Every essence is immortal. Every essence is unchangeable. Everything that is, is double. None of the things that are stand still. Not all things are moved by a soul, but everything that is, is moved by a soul. Everything that suffers is sensible. Everything that is sensible suffereth. Everything that is sad rejoiceth also, and is a mortal living creature. Not everything that joyeth is also sad, but is an eternal living thing. Not every body is sick. Every body that is sick is dissolvable. The mind and God. Reasoning or disputing or discoursing in man. Reason in the mind. The mind is void of suffering. No thing in a body true. All that is incorporeal is void of lying. Everything that is made corruptible. Nothing good upon earth, nothing evil in heaven. Good is God is good, man is evil. Good is voluntary or of its own accord. Evil is involuntary or against its will. The gods choose good things as good things. Time is a divine thing. Law is humane. Malice is the nourishment of the world. Time is the corruption of man. Whatsoever is in heaven is unalterable. All upon earth is alterable. Nothing in heaven is servanted, nothing upon earth free. Nothing unknown in heaven, nothing known upon earth. The things upon earth communicate not with those in heaven. All things in heaven are unblameable. All things upon earth are subject to reprehension. That which is immortal is not mortal. That which is mortal is not immortal. That which is sown is not always begotten, but that which is begotten always is sown. Of a dissolvable body there are two times, one for sowing two generation, one from generation to death. Of an, of an everlasting body, the time is only from the generation. Dissolvable bodies are increased and diminished. Dissolvable matter is altered into contraries, to wit, corruption and generation, but eternal matter into itself and its like. The generation of man is corruption, the corruption of man is the beginning of generation. That which offsprings or begeth it together is itself 
an offspring or begotten by another. Of things that are, some are in bodies, some in their ideas. Whatsoever things belong to operation or working are in a body. The sixth book, that in God alone is good. God, or Ashlepius, is in nothing but in God alone, or rather God himself is the good always. And if it be so, then must he be an essence or substance, void of all motion and generation. But nothing is void or empty of him. And this essence hath about or in himself a stable and firm operation, wanting nothing, most full and giving abundantly. One thing is the beginning of all things, for it giveth all things. And when I name the good, I mean that which is altogether and always good. This is present to none but God alone, for he wanteth nothing that he should desire to have it, nor can anything be taken from him, the loss whereof may grieve him, for sorrow is a part of evilness. Nothing is stronger than he, that he should be opposed by it, nor nothing equal to him, that he should be in love with it. Nothing unheard of to be angry, with nothing wiser to be envious at. And none of these being in his essence, what remains but only the good? For as is in this, being such an essence, there is none of the evils, so in none of the other things shall the good be found. For in all other things are all those other things, as well in the small as the great, and as well in the particulars as in this living creature, the greater and mightiest of all. For all things that are made or generated are full of passion, generation itself being a passion. And where passion is, there is not the good. Where the good is, there is no passion. Where it is day, it is not night. Where it is night, it is not day. Wherefore, it is impossible that in generation should be the good, but only in that which is not generated or made. Yet, as the participation of all things is in the matter bound, so also of that which is good. After this manner is the world good, as it maketh all things, and in the part of making or doing, it is good, but in all other things, not good. For it is passable and movable, and the maker of passable things. In man also the good is ordered, or taketh denomination, in comparison of that which is evil, for that which is not very evil is here good, and that which is here called good is the least particle or proportion of evil. It is impossible, therefore, that the good should be here pure from evil, for here the good groweth evil, and growing evil, it doth not still abide good, and not abiding good, it becomes evil. Therefore in God alone is the good, or rather God is the good. 
Therefore, O Ashlepius, there is nothing in men or among, among men but the name of good. The thing itself is not, for it is impossible. For material body receiveth or comprehendeth is not as being on every side encompassed and coated with evils, labors, griefs, and desires, wraths, deceits, and foolish opinions. And in that which is the worst of all, Ashlepius, every one of these four names, things, is here believed to be the greatest good, especially that supreme mischief, the pleasures of the belly, and the ringleader of all evils. Error is here the absence of the good. And I give thanks unto God that, concerning the knowledge of good, put this assurance in my mind, that it is impossible it should be in the world. For the world is the fullness of evilness, but the God is fullness of good, or good of God. For the eminencies of all appearing beauty are in the essence more pure and more sincere and peradventure there are also the essences of it. For we must be so bold to say, Ashlepius, that the essence of God, if he have an essence, is that which is fair or beautiful, but no good is comprehended in this world. For all things that are subject to the eye are idols, and as it were shadows, but those things that are not subject to the eye are ever, especially the essence of the fair and good. And as the eye cannot see God, so neither the fair and the good. For those are the parts of God that partake the nature of the whole, proper, and familiar unto him alone, inseparable, most lovely, whereof either God is enamored, or they are enamored of God. If thou canst understand God, thou shalt understand the fair and the good, which is the most shining and enlightening and most enlightened by God. For that beauty is above comparison, and that good is inimitable as God himself. As, therefore, thou understandest God, so understand the fair and the good, for these are incommunicable to any other living creatures because they are inseparable from God. If thou seek concerning God, thou seeketh or asketh also of the fair, for there is one way which leadeth to the same thing, that is piety with knowledge. Wherefore, they that are ignorant and go not in the way of piety, dare call men fair and good, never seeing so much as in a dream what good is but being enfolded and wrapped upon all evil, and believing that the evil is the good, they, by that means, both use it insatiable, and are afraid to be deprived of it. And therefore they strive, by all possible means, that they may not only have it, but increase it. O oh, Ashlepius, are the good and fair things of men, which we can neither love nor hate, for this is the hardest thing of all, that we have need of them and cannot live without them. In God alone is good. Part 1. Days of Darkness Chapter 1. My Death I have been a wanderer through a far country, 
in those lands that have no name, no place for you of earth. And I would set down as briefly as I can my wanderings, that those whose feet are pointed to that born may know what may in their turn await them. On earth and in life of earth, I lived as those who do seek only how the highest point of self-gratification can be reached. If I was not unkind to some, if I was indulgent to those I loved, yet it was ever with the feeling that they in return must minister to my gratification, that from them I might purchase by my gifts and my affection the love and homage which was as my life to me. I was talented, highly gifted both in mind and person, and from my earliest years the praise of others was ever given to me, and was ever my sweetest incense. No thought ever came to me of all that self-sacrificing love which can sink itself so completely in the love for others that there is no thought, no hope of happiness, but in securing the happiness of the loved ones. In all my life, and amongst those women whom I loved, as men of earth too often miscall that which is but a passion too low and base to be dignified by the name of love, Amongst all those women from who from time to time captivated my fancy, there was not one who ever appealed to my higher nature sufficiently to make me feel this was true love. This the ideal for which in secret I sighed. In everyone I found something to disappoint me. They loved me as I loved them, no more, no less. The passion I gave one but its counterpart from them and thus I passed on unsatisfied, longing for I knew not what. Mistakes I made, ah, uh, how many. Sins I committed, not a few. Yet the world was often at my feet to praise me and call me good and noble and gifted. I was feted, caressed, the spoilt darling of the dames of fashion. I had but to woo to win, and when I won, all turned to bitter ashes in my teeth. And then there came a time upon which I shall not dwell, when I made the most fatal mistake of all, and spoilt two lives, where I had wrecked but one before. It was not a golden flowery wreath of roses that I wore, but a bitter chain, fetters as of iron that galled and bruised me till at last I snapped them asunder and walked forth free. Free? Ah, me. Never again should I be free, for never for one moment can our past errors and mistakes cease to dog our footsteps and clog our wings while we live. I, and after the life of the body is ended, till one by one we have atoned for them and thus blotted them from our past. And then it was, when I deemed myself secure from all love, when I thought I had learned all that love could teach, knew all that women had to give, that I met one woman. Ah, uh, what shall I call her? She was more than mortal woman in my eyes, and I called her the good angel of my life. And from the first moment that I knew her, 
I bowed down at her feet and gave her all the love of my soul, of my higher self, a love that was poor and selfish when compared to what it should have been, but it was all I had to give, and I gave it all. For the first time in my life, I thought of another more than of myself, and though I could not rise to the pure thoughts, the bright fancies that filled her soul, I thank God I never yielded to the temptation to drag her down to me. And so time went on. I sunned myself in her sweet presence. I grew in holy thoughts that I deemed had left me forever. I dreamed sweet dreams in which I was freed from those chains to my past that held me so cruelly, so hardly now when I sought for better things. And from my dreams, I ever woke to the fear that another might win her from me, and to the knowledge that I, alas, had not the right to say one word to hold her back. Ah, me. The bitterness and the suffering of those days. I knew it was myself alone who had built that wall between us. I felt that I was not fit to touch her, soiled as I was in the world's ways. How could I dare to take that innocent, pure life and link it to my own? At times, hope would whisper it might be so, but reason said ever, no. And though she was so kind, so tender to me, that I read the innocent secret of her love, I knew, I felt, that on earth she would never be mine. Her purity and her truth raised between us as a barrier I could never pass. I tried to leave her, in vain. As a magnet is drawn to the pole, so was I ever drawn back to her, till at last I struggled no more. I strove only to enjoy the happiness that her presence gave, happy that at least the pleasure and the sunshine of her presence was not denied me. And then, ah, then there came for me an awful and unexpected day, and with no warning, no sign to awaken me to my position, I was suddenly snatched from life and plunged into that gulf, that dead of the body which awaits us all. And I knew not that I had died. I passed from some hours of suffering and agony into sleep, deep, dreamless sleep, and when I awoke, it was to find myself alone and in total darkness. I could rise... I could move. Surely I was better. But where was I? Why this darkness? Why was no light left with me? I arose and groped as one does in a dark room, but I could find no light, hear no sound. There was nothing but the stillness, the darkness of death around me. Then I thought I would walk forward and find the door, I could move, though slowly and feebly, and I groped on. For how long, I know not. It seemed hours, for in my growing horror and dismay, I felt I must find someone, some way out of this place. And to my despair, I seemed never to find any door, any wall, anything. All seemed space and darkness round me. Overcome at last, I called out aloud, I shrieked, and no voice answered me. Then again and again I called, 
and still the silence, still no echo, even from my own voice, came back to cheer me. I bethought me of her I loved, but something made me shrink from uttering her name there. Then I thought of all the friends I had known, and I called on them, but none answered me. Was I in prison? No. A prison has walls, and this place had none. Was I mad? Delirious? What? I could feel myself, my body. It was the same. Surely the same. No. There was some change in me. I could not tell what, but I felt as though I was shrunken and deformed. My features, when I passed my hand over them, seemed larger, coarser, distorted, surely. Oh, for a light. Oh, for anything to tell me, even the worst that could be told. Would no one come? Was I quite alone? And she, my angel of light, oh, where was she? Before my sleep, she had been with me. Where was she now? Something seemed to snap in my brain and in my throat, and I called wildly to her by name to come to me, if but one, for once more. I felt a terrible sense as if I had lost her, and I called and called to her wildly, and for the first time my voice had a sound and rang back to me through that awful darkness. Before me, far, far away, came a tiny speck of light, like a star that grew and grew, and came nearer and nearer, till at last it appeared before me as a large ball of light, in shape like a star, and in the star I saw my beloved. Her eyes were closed as of one in sleep, but her arms were held out to me, and her gentle voice said in those tones I knew so well, Oh, my love, my love, where are you now? I cannot see you, I only hear your voice. I only hear you call to me, and my soul answers to yours. I tried to rush to her, but I could not. Some invisible force held me back, and around her seemed a ring I could not pass through. In an agony, I sank to the ground, calling upon her to leave me no more. Then she seemed to grow unconscious. Her head sank upon her breast, and I saw her float away from me as though some strong arms had borne her. I sought to rise and follow her, but could not. It was as if a great chain held me fast, and after some fruitless struggles, I sank upon the ground in unconsciousness. Chapter 2. Despair Dead, dead, I wildly cried. Oh no, surely no. For the dead feel nothing more. They turn to dust. They molder to decay, and all is gone. All is lost to them. They have no more consciousness of anything, unless, indeed, my boasted philosophy of life has been all wrong, all false, and the soul of the dead still lives even though the body decays. The priests of my own church had taught me so, but I had scorned them as fools, blind and knavish, who for their own ends taught that men lived again and could only get to heaven through a gate of which they held the keys 
keys that turned only for gold and at the bidding of those who were made, who were paid to say masses for the departed soul, priests who made dupes of silly frightened women and weak-minded men, who, yielding to the terror inspired by their awful tales of hell and purgatory, gave themselves bodies and souls to purchase the elusive privilege they promised. I would have none of them. My knowledge of these priests and the inner hidden lives of many of them had been too great for me to listen to their idle tales, their empty promises of a pardon they could not give, and I had said I would face death when it came with courage of those who know only that for them it must mean total distinction. For if these priests were wrong, who were who was right? Who could tell us anything of the future, or if there were any God at all? Not the living, for they but theorize and guess, and not the dead, for none came back from them to tell. And now I stood beside this grave, my own grave, and heard my beloved call me dead, and strew flowers upon it. As I looked, the solid mound grew transparent before my eyes, and I saw down to the coffin with my own name and the date of my death upon it. And through the coffin I saw the white still form I knew as myself lying within. I saw to my horror that this body had already begun to decay and become a loathsome thing to look upon. Its beauty was gone, its features none would recognize, and I stood there, conscious, looking down upon it and then at myself. I felt each limb traced out with my hands, each familiar feature of my face, and knew I was dead, and yet I lived. If this were death, then those priests must have been right after all. The dead lived, but where, in what state? Was this darkness hell? For me, they would have found no other place. I was so lost, so beyond the pale of their church, that for me, they would not have found a place even in purgatory. I had cast off all ties to their church. I had so scorned it, deeming that a church which knew of and yet tolerated the shameful and ambitious lives of many of its most honored dignitaries had no claim to call itself a spiritual guide for anyone. There were good men in the church, true, but there was also this mass of shameless evil ones whose lives were common talk, common matter of ridicule. Yet the church that claimed to be the example to all men and hold all truth did not cast out these men of disgraceful lives. No, she advanced them to yet higher posts of honor. None who have lived in my native land and seen the terrible abuses of power in her church will wonder that a nation should rise and seek to cast off such a yoke. Those who can recall the social and political condition of Italy in the earlier half of the century and the part of the Church of Rome played in helping the oppressor to rivet the fetters with which she was bound, and who know how her domestic life was honeycombed with spies, priests as well as laymen, till a man feared to whisper his true sentiments 
to his nearest and dearest, lest she should betray him to the priest, and he again to the government. How the dungeons were crowded with unhappy men, yea, even with mere lads guilty of no crime, save love of their native land and hatred of its oppressors. Those, I say, who know all this will not wonder at the fierce indignation and burning passion which smoldered in the breast of Italia's sons and burst at last into a conflagration which consumed man's faith in God and in his so-called vicar upon earth, and like a mountain torrent that has burst its bounds, swept away men's hopes of immortality. If only through submission to the decrees of the church, it was to be obtained. Such, then, had, my, had been my attitude of revolt and scorn towards the church in which I had been baptized, and that church could have no place within her pale for me. If her anathemas could send a soul to hell, surely I must be there. And yet, as I thought this, I looked again upon my beloved, and I thought she could never have come to hell even to look for me. She seemed mortal enough, and if she knelt by my grave, surely I must be still upon earth. Did the dead, then, never leave the earth at all? but hover near the scenes of their earthly lives. With such and many similar thoughts crowding through my brain, I strove to get nearer to her I so loved, but found I could not. An invisible barrier seemed to surround her and keep me back. I could move on either side of her as I pleased, nearer or farther, but her I could not touch. Fain were all my efforts. Then I spoke. I called to her by name. I told her that I was still there, that I was still conscious, still the same, though I was dead, and she never seemed to hear. She never saw me. She still wept sadly and silently, still tenderly touched the flowers, murmuring to herself that I had so loved flowers. Surely I would know that she had put them there for me. Again and again, I spoke to her as loudly as I could, but she heard me not. She was deaf to my voice. She only moved uneasily and passed her hand over her head as one in a dream, and then slowly and sadly she went away. I strove with all my might to follow her. In vain, I could go but a few yards from the grave in my earthly body, and then I saw why. A chain as of dark silk thread. It seemed no thicker than a spider's web, held me to my body. No power of mine could break it. As I moved, it stretched like elastic but always drew me back again. Worst of all, I began now to be conscious of feeling the corruption of that decaying body affecting my spirit, as a limb that had become poisoned affects with suffering the whole body on earth, and a fresh horror filled my soul. Then a voice 
as of some majestic being spoke to me in the darkness and said, You love that body more than your soul. Watch it now as it turns to dust and know what it was that you worshipped and ministered and clung to. Know how perishable it was, how vile it has become, and look upon your spirit body and see how you have starved and cramped and neglected it for the sake of the enjoyments of the earthly body. Behold how poor and repulsive and deformed your earthly life has made your soul, which is immortal and divine and to endure forever. And I looked and beheld myself. As in a mirror held up before me, I saw myself. Oh, horror. It was beyond doubt myself, but oh, so awfully changed, so vile. So full of baseness did I appear, so repulsive in every feature. Even my figure was deformed. I shrank back in horror at my appearance and prayed that the earth might open before my feet and hide me from eyes forevermore. Ah, never again would I call upon my love, never more desire that she should see me. Better, far better, that she should think of me as dead and gone from her forever. Better that she should only have the memory of me as I had been in earthly life than ever know how awful was the change, how horrible a thing was my real self. Alas, alas, my despair, my anguish was extreme, and I called out wildly and struck myself and tore my hair in wild and passionate horror of myself. Then my passion exhausted me, and I sank senseless and unconscious of all once more. Again I waked, and again it was the presence of my love that awaked me. She had brought more flowers, and she murmured more soft, tender thoughts of me as she laid them on my grave. But I did not seek now to make her see me. No, I shrank back and sought to hide myself, and my heart grew hard even to her, and I said, rather let her weep for the one who has gone than know that he still lives. So I let her go. And as, she, as soon as she was gone, I called frantically to her to come back, to come back in any way, to any knowledge of my awful position, rather than leave me in that place to see her no more. She did not hear, but she felt my call, and afar off I saw her stop and half turn round as though to return. Then she passed on again and left me. Twice, three times she came again, and each time when I came, when she came, I felt the same shrinking from approaching her. And each time when she left, I felt the same wild longing to bring her back and keep her near me. But I called to her no more, for I knew the dead call in vain. The living hear them not. And to all the world I was dead. And only to myself and to my awful fate was I alive. Ah, now I knew death was no endless sleep, no calm oblivion. Better, far better had it been so. 
and in my despair I prayed that this total oblivion might be granted to me, and I prayed I knew it never could, for man is an immortal soul, and for good or evil, weal or woe, lives on eternally. His earthly form decays and turns to dust, but the spirit, which is the true man, knows no decay, no oblivion. Each day, for I felt that days were passing over me, my mind awoke more and more, and I saw clearer and clearer the events of my life pass in a long procession before me. Dim at first, then by degrees growing stronger and clearer, and I bowed my head in anguish, helpless, hopeless anguish, for I felt it must be too late now to undo one single act. I know not how long this lasted. It seemed a long, long time to me. I was sitting wrapped still in my despair when I heard a voice gentle and soft calling to me, the voice of my beloved, and I felt compelled to rise and follow that voice till it should lead me to her. And as I rose to go to the thread which had so bound me seemed to stretch and stretch till I scarce felt its pressure, and I was drawn on and on till at last I found myself in a room which I could dimly see, even in my darkness that always surrounded me, was familiar to my eyes. It was the home of my beloved one, and in that room I had passed, ah, how many peaceful, happy hours in that time, which seemed now separated from me by so wide and awful a gulf. She sat at a little table with a sheet of paper before her and a pencil in her hand. She kept repeating my name and saying, Dearest of friends, if the dead ever return, come back to me and try if you can make me write a few words from me, even yes or no in answer to my questions. For the first time since I had died, I saw her with a faint smile upon her lips and a look of hope and expectation in those dear eyes that were so heavy with weeping for me. The dear face looked so pale and sad with her grief, and I felt, ah, how I felt, the sweetness of the love she had given me, in which now less than ever dare I hope to claim. Then I saw three other forms beside her, but they I knew were spirits, yet how unlike myself. These spirits were bright, radiant, so that I could not bear to look at them. The sight seemed to scorch my eyes as with a fire. One was a man, tall, calm, dignified looking, who bent over her to protect her as her guardian angel might. Beside him stood two fair young men whom I knew at once to be those brothers who she had often spoken of to me. They had died when youth, with all of its pleasures, was before them, and their memories were shrined in her heart as those who were now angels. I shrank back, for I felt they saw me, and I sought to cover my disfigured face and form with the dark mantle which I wore. Then my pride awoke, and I said, Has not she herself called me? 
I have come, and shall not she be the arbiter of my destiny? Is it so irrevocable that nothing I can do, no sorrow, no repentance however deep, no deeds however great, no work however hard, can reverse it? Is there indeed no hope beyond the grave? And a voice, the voice I had heard before at my own grave, answered me, Son of grief, is there no hope on earth for those who sin? Does not even man forgive the sinner who has wronged him, if the sin be repented of and pardon sought? And shall God be less merciful, less just? Hast thou repentance even now? Search thine own heart and see whether it is for thyself or for those thou hast wronged that thou art sorry. And I knew as he spoke that I did not truly repent. I only suffered. I only loved and longed. Then again my beloved spoke and asked me, if I were there and could hear her, to try and write one word through her hand, that she might know I still lived, still thought of her. My heart seemed to rise into my throat and choke me, and I drew near to try if I could move her hand, could touch it even. But the tall spirit came between us, and I was forced to draw back. Then he spoke and said, Give your words to me, and I will cause her hand to write them down for you. I will do this for her sake, and because of the love she has for you. A great wave of joy swept over me at his own words, and I would have taken his hand and kissed it, but could not. My hand seemed scorched by his brightness ere I could touch him, and I bowed myself before him, for I thought he must be one of the angels. My beloved spoke once more and said, Are you here, dearest friend? I answered, Yes. And then I saw the spirit put his hand on her, and when he did so, her hand wrote the word, Yes. Slowly and unsteadily it moved, like a child's learning to write. Ah, how she smiled, and again she asked me a question, and as before her own hand traced out my answer. She asked me if there was anything she could do for me, any wish of mine that she could help me carry out. I said, no, not now. I would go away now and torment her no longer with my presence. I would let her forget me now. My heart was so sore as I spoke, so bitter, and ah, how sweet to me was her reply, how it touched my soul to hear her say, do not say that to me, for I would ever be your truest, dearest friend, as I was in the past, and since you died, my one thought has been to find you and speak with you again. And I answered, I called out to her, it has been my only wish also. She then asked if I would come again, and I said, yes, for where would I have not gone for her? What would I not have done? Then the bright spirit said she must write no more that night. He made her hand write that also, and said she should go to rest. I felt myself now drawn away once more back to my grave, 
into my earthly body in that dark churchyard, but not to the same hopeless sense of misery. In spite of everything, a spark of hope had risen in my heart, and I knew I should see and speak with her again. But now I found I was not alone there. Those two spirits, who were her brothers, had followed me and now spoke. I shall not state all they said. Suffice it to say, they pointed out to me how wide was now the gulf between their sister and myself, and asked if I desired to shadow all her young life with my dark presence. If I left her now, she would in time forget me, except as one who had been a dear friend to her. She could always think tenderly of my memory, and surely if I loved her truly, I would not wish to make all her young life lonely and desolate for my sake. I replied that I loved her, and could never bear to leave her, never bear to think of any other, loving her as I had done. Then they spoke of myself in my past, and asked if I dared to think of linking myself with her pure life, even in the misty fashion in which I still hoped to do. How could I hope that when she died I should meet her? She belonged to a bright sphere to which I could not hope for a long time to rise, and would it not be better for her, and nobler, more truly loving of me, to leave her, to forget me, and to find what happiness in life could yet be given to her, rather than seek to keep alive a love that could only bring her sorrow? I said faintly, I thought she loved me. They said, yes, she loves you as she herself has idealized your image in her mind, and as she in her innocence had painted your picture. Do you think if she knew all your story, she would love you? Would she not shrink back in horror from you? Tell her the truth. Give her the choice of freedom from your presence, and you will have acted a nobler part and shown a truer love than in deceiving her and seeking to tie her to a being like yourself. If you truly love her, think of her and her happiness, and what will bring it, not of yourself alone. Then the hope within me died out, and I bowed my head to the dust in shame and agony, for I knew that I was vile and in no way fit for her, and I saw as in a glass but her life might still be freed from mine. She might know happiness yet with another more worthy than I had been, while with my love I would only drag her down into sadness with me. For the first time in my life, I put the happiness of another before my own, and because I so loved her and would have had her happy, I said to them, let it be so then. Tell her the truth, and let her say but one kind word to me in farewell, and I will go from her and darken her life with a shadow of mine no more. So we went back to her, and I saw her as she slept, exhausted with her sorrow for me. I pleaded that they would let me give her one kiss, the first and last that I would ever give. But they said no, that was impossible for my touch would snap forever the thread that held her still to life.
Then they awoke her and made her write down their words, while I stood by and heard each word fall as a nail in the coffin, where they were burying my last hope forever. She, as one in a dream, rode on, till at last the whole shameful story of my life was told, and I had but to tell her myself that all was forever at an end between us, and she was free from my sinful presence and my selfish love. I said adieu to her. As drops of blood wrung from my heart were those words, and as ice they fell upon her heart and crushed it. Then I turned and left her. How, I know not. But as I went, I felt the cord that had tied me to my grave and my earthly body snap, and I was free, free to wander where I could, alone in my desolation. And then, ah me. While I write the words, the tears of thankfulness are in my eyes again, and I almost break down in trying to write them. Then she, whom we had deemed so weak and gentle, that we had but to decide for her, she called me back with all the force of a love none dare oppose, called me back to her. She said she could never give me up so long as I had love for her. Let your past be what it might. Let you be sunk now, even to the lowest depths of hell itself. I will still love you, still seek to follow you, and claim my right, the right of my love, to help and comfort and cherish you till God in his mercy shall have pardoned your past and you shall be raised up again. And then it was that I broke down and wept as only a strong, proud man can weep, whose heart had been wrung and bruised and hardened and then touched by the soft, tender touch of a loving hand till the tears must come to his relief. I went back to my love and knelt down beside her, and though they would not let me touch her, that calm, beautiful spirit, who was her guardian, whispered to her that her prayer was answered, and that she should indeed lead me back to the light. And so I left my darling, and as I passed away, I saw a white angel's form hover over her, to give her strength and comfort, who was herself my angel of light. I left her thus with those spirits, and went forth to wander till her voice should call me to her side again. After the short troubled sleep into which those bright spirits had put her, my darling awoke the next day, and went to visit a kind good man whom she had discovered in her efforts to find some way by which she might reach me even beyond the grave. If it might be that what she had been told about those people who were called spiritualists was really true, she hoped through their aid to speak again with me, and prompted by those who were watching over her, she had searched out this man, who was known as a healing medium, and by him she had been told that if she herself tried, she could write messages from the so-called dead. This I did not learn till later. At the time, I only felt myself summoned by the voice of her whose power over me was so great, and in obedience to it, 
I found myself standing in what I could dimly distinguish to be a small room. I say dimly because all was still dark to to me, save only where the light around my darling shone a star and showed faintly what was near. It was to this good man of whom I speak that she had gone, and it was her voice speaking to him that had drawn me. She was telling him what had passed the night before, and how much she loved me, and how she would gladly give all her life if by doing so she could comfort and help me. And that man spoke such kind words to her. From my heart I thanked and still thank for him. He gave me so much hope. He pointed out to my dear love that the ties of the earth body are broken at its death and I was free to love her, and she was free to return that love, that she had, had her better, she herself better than any other could in truth help to raise me, for her love would give me comfort and hope as nothing else would do, and would cheer my path of repentant effort. And she had now the best of rights to give it. My love for her had been so pure and true a passion, while hers for me was stronger than death itself since it had overcome the barrier of death. He was so kind, this man. He helped me to speak to her and to explain many things as I could not have done the night before when my heart was so sore and full of pride. He helped me to tell what of excuse there had been for me in the past, though I owned that nothing can truly excuse our sins. He let me tell her that in spite of all the wrong of my past, she had been to me as one sacred, loved with the love I had given to none but herself. He soothed and strengthened her with a kindness for which I blessed him even more than for his help to myself, and when she left him at last, I too went with her to her home, the light of hope in both our hearts. And when we got there, I found that a fresh barrier was raised up by those two spirit brothers and others to whom she was dear. An invisible wall surrounded her, through which I could not pass, and through I might follow her, about I could not get very near. Then I said to myself that I would go back to the kind man and see if he could help me. My wish seemed to carry me back for soon I found myself there again. He was at once conscious of my presence, and strange as it might seem, I found he could understand much, although not all, that I said to him. He gathered the sense of what I wanted to say, and told me many things I shall not set down here, since they concerned only myself. He assured me that if I were only patient, all would be well in time. And though the relations might build their spiritual wall around my love, her will would at all times draw me through it to her, and nothing could shut out her love from me. No walls could keep that back. If I would seek now to learn the things of spirit and work to advance myself, the gulf between us would disappear. Comforted, I left him and wandered away again, I knew not where. I was now beginning to be dimly conscious that there were other beings like myself, 
flitting about near me in the darkness, though I could scarce see them. I was so lost and lonely that I thought of going back to my grave again, as it was the spot most familiar to me, and my thought seemed to take me back, for soon I was there once more. The flowers that my love had brought were faded now. She had not been there for two days. Since speaking to me, she seemed to forget the body that was lain away in the earth, and this to me was well, and I would have had it so. It was well for her to forget the dead body and think only of the living spirit. Even those withered flowers spoke of her love, and I tried to pick up one, a white rose, to carry away with me. I found I could not lift it, could not move it in the least. My hand passed through it as through it was as though it was but the reflection of a rose. I moved round to where there was a white mi- marble cross at the head of the grave, and I saw there the names of my beloved one's two brothers. Then I knew what she had done in her love for me. She had laid my body to rest beside those she had loved best of all. My heart was so touched that again I wept, and my tears fell like dew upon my heart and melted away its bitterness. I was so lonely that at last I rose and wandered away again amongst other dark wandering shapes, few of whom even turned to look at me. Perhaps, like myself, they scarcely saw. Presently, however, three dark forms, which seemed like two women and a man, passed near me, and then turned and followed. The man touched my arm and said, Where are you bound for? Surely you are newly come over to this side, or you would not hurry on so. None hurry here, because we all know we have eternity to wander in. Then he laughed a laugh so cold and harsh in tone, it made me shudder. One of the women took my arm on one side, and one on the other, saying, Come away with us, and we will show you how you may enjoy life, even though you are dead. If we have not got bodies to enjoy ourselves through, we will borrow them from some mortals for a little. Come with us, and we will show you that all pleasure is not ended yet. In my loneliness, I was glad to have some being to speak to, and although they were all three most repulsive-looking, the women, to my mind, even more so than the man, I felt inclined to let them lead me away and see what would happen, and I had even turned to accompany them, when afar off in the dim distance, like a picture traced in light on a black day, I saw the spirit form of my pure, sweet love. Her eyes were closed as I had seen her in my first vision, but as before her hands were stretched out to me, and her voice fell like a voice from heaven on my ears, saying, Oh, take care, take care, go not with them. They are not good, and their road leads only to destruction. Then the vision was gone. And as one waking from a dream, I shook those three persons from me, and hurried away in the darkness. How long and how far I wandered, I know not. I kept hurrying on to get away from the memories that haunted me, and I seemed to have all space to wander in.
At last, I sat down on the ground to rest, for there seemed to be ground solid enough to rest upon, and while I sat there, I saw glimmering through the darkness a light. As I drew near it, I saw a great haze of light radiating from a room which I could see, but it was so bright it hurt my eyes to look upon it as would looking at the noonday sun on earth have done. I could not bear it, and would have turned away when a voice said, Stay, weary wanderer. Here are only kind hearts and helping hands for you. And if you would see your love, come in, for she is here and you may speak with her. Then I felt a hand, for I could see no one, draw my mantle over my head to shut out the brightness of the light, and then lead me into the room and seat me in a large chair. I was so weary, so weary, and so glad to rest. And in this room there was such peace, it seemed to me that I had found my way to heaven. After a little, I looked up and saw two gentle, kindly women who were like angels to my eyes. And I said to myself, I have come near to heaven, surely. Again I looked, and by this time my eyes seemed strengthened. For beyond those two fair good women, and at first I could scarcely believe it, so great was my joy. I saw my beloved herself smiling sadly but tenderly at where I sat. She smiled, but I knew she did not really see me. One of the ladies did, though, and she was describing me to my darling in a low, quiet voice. My darling seemed so pleased, for it confirmed to her what the man had told her. She had been telling these ladies what a remarkable experience she had had, and how it seemed to her like a strange dream. I could have cried out to her then that I was truly there, that I still lived, still loved her, and was trusting in her love for me. But I could not move. Some spell was over me. Some power I could dimly feel was holding me back. And then those two kind ladies spoke, and I knew they were not angels yet, for they were still in their earthly bodies, and she could see and speak to them. They said much of what the kind good man had done as to the hope there was for sinners like me. The same voice which had bidden me to enter now asked, would I like one of the ladies to write a message for me? I said, yes, a thousand times yes. Then I spoke my words, and the spirit caused the lady to write them down. I said to my beloved that I still lived, still loved her. I bid her never to forget me, never to cease to think of me, for I required all her love and help to sustain me. I was ever the same to her, though now I was weak and helpless, and could not make her see me. And she, ah, she gave me such sweet words in return, I cannot write them down. They are too sacred to me, and will rest in my heart forevermore. The period that followed this interview was one of deep sleep for me. I was so exhausted that when I left the room, I wandered on a little way, and then sank down upon the ground in deep, dreamless unconsciousness. What did it matter where I rested, when all was as night around me? 
How long my sleep lasted, I know not. At that period, I had no means of counting time, save by the amount of suffering and misery through which I passed. From my slumbers, I awoke fresh in a measure, and with all my senses stronger in me than before. I could move more rapidly. My limbs felt stronger and freer, and I was now conscious of a desire to eat I had not felt before. My longing grew so great that I went in search of food, and for a long time could find none anywhere. At last I found what looked like hard, dry bread, a few crusts only, but I was glad to eat them, whereupon I felt more satisfied. Here I may say that spirits do eat the spiritual counterpart of your food, do feel both hunger and thirst, as keen to them as your appetites are you to are to you on earth. Although neither our food nor our drink would be any more visible to your material sight than our spiritual bodies are, and yet for us they possess objective reality. Had I been a drunkard or a lover of the pleasures of the table in my earthly body, I should much sooner have felt the cravings of appetite. As it was, nature with me had ever been easily satisfied, and though at first I turned from those dry crusts in disgust, a little reflection told me that I had now no way of procuring anything. I was like a beggar, and had better content, content myself with a beggar's fare. My thoughts had now turned to my beloved again and the thoughts carried my spirit with them, so that I found myself entering once more the room where I had last seen her and the two ladies. This time I seemed to pass in at once, and was received by two spirit men, who I could but faint, very faintly see. A veil seemed to hang between us, through which I saw those two spirit men, the ladies and my beloved. I was told that I might again give a message to her through the lady who had written my words before. I was so anxious to try if I could not make my darling write down my words, as I had seen her guardian spirit do, that I was allowed to try. To my disappointment, I found I could not do it. She was deaf to all I said, and I had to give up the idea and let the lady write for me as before. After I had given my message, I rested for a short time and watched my beloved one's sweet face, as I had been wont to do in other happier days. My musings were interrupted by one of the spirit men. A grave, handsome young man, he seemed to be, so far as I could see him. He spoke to me in a quiet, kindly voice, and said that if I truly desired to write my own words through my darling herself, it would be well for me to join a brotherhood of penitents who, like myself, desire to follow out the better way, and with them I should learn many things of which I was yet ignorant, and which would help me to fit myself to control her mind as well as give me the privilege I sought of being with her at times when she dwelt on earth. This way of repentance was hard, he said, very hard.
The steps many, the toil and suffering great, but it led to a fair and happy land at last where I should rest in happiness, such as I could not dream of now. He assured me that my deformed body, which I was still so anxious to hide from my beloved's eyes, would change as my spirit changed, till I should be once more fair to look upon, such as she would no longer grieve to see. Were I to remain upon the earth plane as I now was, I should most likely be drawn back into my former haunts of so-called pleasure, and in that atmosphere of spiritual degradation, I should soon lose the power to be near my darling at all. For her sake, those who guarded her would be obliged to exclude me. On the other hand, were I to join this brotherhood, which was one of hope and endeavor, I should be so helped, so strengthened, and so taught, that when in due course my time came to return to the earth plane, I should have acquired a strength and an armor that could resist its temptations. I listened to the words of this grave, courteous spirit with wonder, and a growing desire to know more of this brotherhood of whom he spoke, and begged he would take me to them. This he assured me he would do, and he also explained that I should be there of my own free will and choice only. Did I desire at any time to leave, I could at once do so. All are free in the spirit world, he said. All must follow where their own wishes and desires lead them. If you study to cultivate the higher desires, means will be given you to attain them, and you will be strengthened with such help and strength as you may need. You are one who has never learned the power of prayer. You will learn it now, for all things come by earnest prayer, whether you are conscious that you pray or not. For good or for evil, your desires are as prayers and call around you good or evil powers to answer them for you. As I was once again growing weary and exhausted, he suggested that I should bid adieu to my darling for a time. He explained that I should gain more strength, as well as permit her to do so, if I left her for the time I was to remain in this place of which she, he spoke. It would also be well that she should not try to write for three months, as her medium-mystic powers had been greatly tried, and if she did not rest them, she would be much impaired, while I would require all that time to learn the, even the simple lessons needed before I could control her. Ah, uh, me. How hard it seemed to us both to make this promise. But she set me the example, and I could but follow it. If she would try to be strong and patient, so should I, and I registered a vow that if the god I had long forgotten would remember and pardon me now, I would give all my life and all my powers to undo the wrongs that I had done. And so it was that I left for a time the troubled earth plane of the spirit world, of which I had as yet seen so little, but in which I was yet to see and suffer so much. As I left the room to go with my new guide, 
I turned to my love and waved my hand in farewell and asked that the good angels and the God I dare not pray to for myself might bless and keep her safe forevermore. And the last thing I saw was her tender eyes following me with that look of love and hope which was to sustain me through many a weary, painful hour. Chapter 4 In the spirit world, there are many strange places, many wondrous sights, and many organizations for helping repentant souls, but I have never seen anything more strange in its way than this home of help, conducted by the Brotherhood of Hope, to which I was now conducted. In the then feeble condition of all my spiritual faculties, I was not able to see what the place was like. I was almost like one who is deaf, dumb, and blind. When I was with others, I could scarcely see or hear them, or make them hear me, and although I could see a little, it was more as though I was in a perfectly dark room, with only one small, feeble glimmer of light to show me where I went. On the earth plane, I had not felt this so much, for though all was darkness, I could both hear and see enough to be conscious of those near me. It was in ascending, even to the little distance at which this place was above the earth, that I felt the absence of all but the most material developments of my spirit. That time of darkness was so awful to me that even now I scarce like to recall it. I had so loved the sunshine and the light. I came from a land where all is sunshine and brightness, where the colors are so rich, the sky so clear, the flowers and the scenery so beautiful, and I so loved light and warmth and melody. And here as elsewhere since my death, had found only darkness and coldness and gloom, an appalling and shrouding gloom that wrapped me round like a mantle of night from which I could in no way free myself. And this awful gloom crushed my spirit as nothing else could have done. I had been proud and haughty on earth. I came of a race that knew not what it was to bow before anyone. In my veins ran the blood of its haughty nobles. Through my mother I was allied to the great ones of earth, whose ambitions had moved kingdoms to their will. And now the lowest, humblest, poorest beggar of my native streets was greater, happier than I, for he at least had the sunshine and the free air, and I was at the lowest, most degraded prisoner in the dungeon cell. Had it not been for my one star of hope, my angel of light, and the hopes she had given me through her love, I might have sunk into the apathy of despair. But when I thought of her waiting, as she had vowed she would do all her life for me, when I recalled her sweet and tender smile, and the loving words she had spoken to me, my heart and my courage revived again, and I strove to endure, to be patient, to be strong. And I had need of all to help me, for from now began a period of suffering and conflict 
I shall in vain seek to make anyone fully realize.